Today's reading is Isaiah 41 through 11. It can be found on your screen. This is God's word. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the, in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all human faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that are, have young. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's, um, let's pray together before we go into our, our sermon for today. God, our Father, you are our shepherd who tenderly cares for us, your flock. Uh, we are a people in need of comfort. And here you come giving us a message of comfort, saying that you are coming, that everything that's wrong will be made right. And we wait and we hope for that day to come. Lord, be with us now and comfort us in the ways that we need to be comfort comforted. Give us hope where we need hope. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to double check and make sure you guys can hear me. If I, if you can all hear me good like this. Okay. I've got my notes on my keyboard, and I don't know if that's covering my mic, so I just wanted to, to double check there. Um, so as Christmas is coming, uh, I don't know if you guys have started watching Christmas movies yet, but uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies is the classic It's a Wonderful Life. You know, we watch that movie every year growing up. That one, and uh, it's a Christmas story. You know, you'll shoot your eye out. But, uh, there's a scene in uh, It's a Wonderful Life where George Bailey, he's on, he's on the bridge after uh, a whole bunch of stuff has gone wrong, and, and he's just not sure if life is worth going on anymore. And he's considering ending things when Clarence, his guardian angel, shows up to try to save him from himself. And, you know, they're talking, and George eventually says, man, I, the world would be a better place if I had never been born. You know, I brought all this trouble on all these people. I wish I had never been born. And so Clarence, being an awesome guardian angel, 
shows him what the world would be like if George Bailey had never been born. And it's a completely different world. You know, the, the town is all different. George sees that the, his little brother who he saved when they were kids went on to, to save thousands of people in World War II. He sees that uh, all of the work that he did as a, uh, a loan manager, a building and loan person helped you know, dozens and hundreds of people find nice homes. Instead, now he's, he's in this alternate reality. He sees them living in slum conditions and, and awful housing situations. And he sees his wife and, and, you know, she never ended up getting married. And he sees, by the way, Clarence uh, of showing him, he sees that, you know, he's got a pretty wonderful life. This, this little alternate reality, the thing that he wished for was actually a nightmare. What he wanted was actually the last thing that he needed or that the world needed. We see Israel throughout the Bible wishing that it had a different God, wishing that it had the ability to do what it wanted, uh, wishing that it didn't have this restrictive sort of covenant with God, wishing that it could worship the gods that its neighbors are worshiping. And the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, there's a lot of Isaiah showing Israel what the world would be like if it got what it wanted. It's showing Israel what their life would be like if they didn't have this special relationship with God that they have. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah, he and a lot of these other prophets are saying to Israel, there's a lot of woe to you, which we see as this really negative sign, but they're saying, this is what life is like if you got what you wished for if you didn't have this special relationship with God that you have. He's saying you wouldn't have protection from your enemies, like the protection that God gives you. You wouldn't have peace in your cities, like the kind of peace that comes when you're living in line with what God wants for you and for his people. The strong would prey on the weak, and nobody would stop them. The prophets throughout Israel's history come and say, this is what life would be like if you got what you wished for. And eventually, Israel did get what they wished for. They saw what life was like without God as their protector when the empire of Babylon came, conquered them, and dragged their people across the desert into exile, into the city of Babylon. Isaiah in the first 39 chapters of, of this book is saying, be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. And so there the people of Israel are. They're in exile. They're in Babylon. They're away from home. Things look hopeless. And then comes Isaiah chapter 40, with these two opening words of comfort, comfort. Comfort, comfort, my people, is this new message Instead of a message of woe to you, of, of warning, of this is what life would be like, there comes this message of comfort. In, in, uh, in this context, the messenger is using this word, uh, nahamu, which means to exhale. It's, it's as if, imagine you, uh, you went and got, say, a COVID test or, or a medical test, and you're waiting for the results, and then you see the doctors calling you on the phone, and uh, you pick up and the, you, you know you're about to get the results of this medical exam. And what do you do? You hold your breath. You get the results. It's negative. 
everything's okay. <sighs> Whew. That's the kind of exhale that Nahamu is. That's the kind of deep sigh of relief that's encompassed in this word, comfort, comfort. Uh, the, the messenger is writing to these people, you can breathe out. <laughs> your time of exile is coming to an end. In verse two, it says that your hard service is completed. Your sin has been paid for. It even says you've received double, which is a way of saying you've received the full, complete measure of punishment for, for your sins. Everything is done. It, it's as if the messenger is saying that your, your Fifth Amendment rights are being recognized and upheld. If you think way back to your high school civics class, the, the Fifth Amendment protects you from uh, double jeopardy. It says that, here's the specific, you know, jargon. No person shall be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb. It's saying that once a verdict is reached, once a sentence has been passed and a term of punishment has been served, you cannot be judged or punished again for that same crime. Or you can't have anything added beyond the term that you've already served. Your punishment is over and no new or extended punishment can be added on top of it. Here Isaiah is saying that your service is completed, your sin has been paid for to the fullest, you are protected from double jeopardy, nothing more can be added to it, and, and, and your exile is over. And now it's time to come home. You know, they had gone through this really difficult trek from Jerusalem to Babylon through the wilderness, you know, this is, is back when their best mode of transportation would have been going through these rugged paths, no pavement, going through the mountains, through the desert, around things, through things, under things, over things, in this really long and difficult journey. And then here we see a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. He's talking about clearing the way for God to come to his people on this super highway through the desert in order that he can bring his people back along that same highway, along that same, same road that God comes to his people. You know, imagine for a minute that the distance from Jerusalem to Babylon was about the same distance as from Sacramento to Salt Lake City. Now imagine you had to walk there, <laughs> over the Sierras, across the Nevada desert, you know, through all this rugged wilderness, through all this, this crazy mountains and valleys and desert, and you've got to walk it. <laughs> and then you're there, and then you get the news, hey, guess what? You can drive on I-80 home. <laughs> you can take the nice paved highway through the desert this time. You're returning on a very different road than what you went out on. Isaiah is saying that all obstacles are being removed so that God can come to you unhindered and he can bring you home unhindered. This is what we remember in Advent. Because at some point, all of us get to the point where we realize what it's like to wish for something that you really wanted only to realize it's the last thing that you needed. When you get what you want, you end up being either disappointed 
or worse off than you were before. You know, we think, we think that we know what's best for ourselves. You know, we really think we do. I know, I often think I know what's best for me. Of course I do, I'm me. I know what's best for me. But in reality, we're, we're all a little bit like the alcoholic who, what does he want most? Alcohol. <laughs> what's the absolute worst thing for him to have? <laughs> what's destroying his life and bringing him into the worst situation that he could be in? Alcohol. <laughs> What do we want most? What do we often really, really long for? Freedom from God. <laughs> we want to be able to do what we want. We want that uh, American dream where I can buy what I want. I can do what I want. I can make the world around me into the kind of world that I want it to be. I want to be in control. This is what we want. This is what we wish for. But much like Israel and, and the alcoholic and George Bailey, Eventually, we realized that if we got what we wished for, you know, if, if, if we actually did, we would realize it was a nightmare. We would realize how, how awful things would be <laughs> if we actually did get what we wished for. You know, we think that if I got my wish, my life would be better and the world would be better. But Isaiah and reality tell us otherwise. Isaiah tells us, and reminds us that our wants are fickle. <laughs> the, the cultural values that we try to enforce and make sure that they get obeyed by everybody around us actually change. <laughs> we see in, in, what is it, verse, verses uh, six and seven, where Isaiah says that the people are like grass. <laughs> you know, we, we are like flowers in the field that get blown away. The things that we want are not permanent. You know, just imagine, you know, what if you got what you wished you wanted when you were 15 <laughs> or when you were 20, you know? Are, are those the same things you want now? If, if the world looked like you, it, like you wished it would have when you were that age, would you actually want the world to still be like that? Now, our, our wants are fickle. They change. They're like grass and flowers in the field. But then Isaiah tells us that the word of God endures forever. Isaiah is giving us this news that when, uh, when our wants come and go, and we realize that the things that we wish we had, even when they come to us, they leave us unsatisfied. We find ourselves in this place of, of exile, you know, a feeling, a longing for something whole and good. Isaiah comes with this good news that we remember in Advent, this good news of comfort. Comfort, my people. You know, grass withers, flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. And God is coming with strength and tenderness. You know, he says, uh, what is it? See his, uh, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. And then in the next verse, uh, verse 11, he says, he tends his flock like a shepherd and he gathers the lambs in his arms. We've got the strong arm of a king who can set his kingdom in order. We've got the gentle and tender arm of a shepherd who can lift up his lambs and take care for them. God comes with strength and tenderness. In this Advent season, when we look around us and we see everything that's wrong with the world, 
the things that hurt us, the things that hurt the people we love. It's good news to know that we have a God who is coming, who is strong enough to set things right, who is stronger than even the most invincible seeming systems and powers that we see in the world causing havoc. We see a God coming who is stronger than them, a king who can set his kingdom in order. And yet the same God is gentle and tender enough to care for the lowly, to take care of and heal the oppressed and the depressed. For those who've been living in darkness for a long time, we get this message that a light is coming, that God is coming. In verse six, the, the messenger says, what shall I cry? And the message that he is supposed to cry is that God is coming. And so for us, as God's people, as the church, what, what do we cry? Well, at Christmas we cry, God has come. God has come. We cry that the eternal word of God became a human being, that the word became flesh, just like you and me, and he was born in Bethlehem and his name was Jesus. We cry out that at the end of Jesus' life, he was executed on a cross, taking the punishment that we deserved on himself and passing the protection of double, double jeopardy on to us. In Jesus' death, a verdict was reached, a sentence was passed, a term of punishment was served, and now nothing more can be added on to it. There are legal protections <laughs> in place. The service has been complete, the sin has been paid for, and now nothing more can be demanded. He gives this freedom that he earned to us, to his people, it, it, as an act of sheer grace. And when you receive it, it means that you cannot be judged or punished again for the crimes or the sins or the mistakes that you've done because Jesus has taken it all on himself. He took the whole thing and now no new or extended punishment can be added to it. We are protected. We are given a message of comfort, comfort. The service has ended, the sin has been paid for, and now we wait for Christ to come again. As we say every day, not every day, every Sunday <laughs> at church, you could say it every day, it'd be a good thing to say every day. We remember that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. He will come again with comfort for his people. He will come again with strength and tenderness to set things right and care for those who have been hurt. Let's pray together. God, our King and Shepherd, come to us soon. We look around at uh, the darkness in the world and we pray that your light would come. We see these small candles that we've lit. We remember how small and frail hope can seem. We know that a day is coming when, when your light will shine brighter than the sun. We long for that day. Give us hope and patience for that day. And give us courage to cry out the good news that God has come and God is coming. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.